If you have a Bible, let's look this morning at Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, the text we're looking at this morning should be on the screen behind me. As you're turning there, I want to uh, mention something I've been forgetting for the last few weeks, and that is this. Uh, For those of you men in the church that are interested in getting connected with other men, um, I lead a men's study on Tuesday mornings from 6.30 to 7.10, and on Wednesday night from 8 till about 9 o'clock. You are welcome to come. I would love to have you come. It's in the bulletin. Perhaps you've read it, perhaps not, but just know you can jump in at any time. Uh, We're going through a book together. Uh, Sometimes men are able to read it. Sometimes they're not. We talk about the book. We talk about the chapter. We pray. We just spend time together. So, gentlemen, if you're interested in that, please come. If there are weeks that you can come on Tuesday morning and Wednesday night, that's perfectly fine. There are guys that come some weeks on Tuesday and other weeks on Wednesday. Same book, same material. We're just getting together and talking about our lives, talking about the Lord Jesus and and praying and being together. So would love for you to come. Would love to have uh, whoever would like to be there. But our attention now must need to be focused on God and his word. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 11 verses to you. I'll remind you, this is God's word. It doesn't get any better than this. I'm going to read to you a portion of a letter from home. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Is that the crow? Is it back? All right. Well, this is a good time for it to show up because I need to pray. So let's pray that God will help all of us focus on his word. Maybe Maybe the crow heard some of this and was bowing down. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to us. Your word here, Lord, is so rich, we will only be able to just scratch the surface and begin to scratch the surface this morning. Lord, we thank you for creation. It reminds us that you're in control over everything. And we pray that as we look at this passage together, you would help us 
by not enabling us to be distracted. May we focus on you. May we realize that you are committed to us. May we realize that your truth will set us free. And may we desire to delight in you, Lord. Not just view you as God, but view you as our God and that we love you and are learning to love you. Please, Lord, make all these things happen. And Lord, only you can do it. And you may want to do something else, and that's fine. But have your way with us. For Jesus' sake I pray. Amen. God speaks to us in his word and communicates something very powerful to us. God is always trying to uncomplicate our lives. God is always trying to simplify our lives. Do you realize how simple our worship is? Do you realize that it's nothing more than just a dialogue? God is speaking and we respond. God is speaking and we respond. We are actually communing and fellowshipping with God. He's speaking to us and shaping us. God is making our lives simple. And that's very important because in truth, we oftentimes spend the majority of our energy, the majority of our time, and the majority of all that we are trying to complicate things. We spend so much of our time making our lives complicated. And God gives us worship and God gives us his word to uncomplicate and to simplify things. Because he loves us. And he knows how often we just get wrapped around the axle with things. As we look at this passage together, I want you to realize that we've been look, as we've been looking at Philippians, I think that there is a message that God is trying to communicate to us. There's, there's, kind of a, there's kind of a theme or a summary statement we can look at together as we look at Philippians. And it's this, the gospel is life. The gospel is life. The good news of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection is life. This is what we need every day. And the, Philippian, the letter to the Philippians is telling us that. The gospel is life. And each week we're going to try to work that out. And we're going to try to understand what it means that the gospel is life. You might remember when we were back in Acts chapter 16, which is the founding of this church in Philippi. You might remember that God is communicating to us there that the gospel is what brings you to life. The gospel birthed this church in Philippi. We've been looking at this section, and we're going to look at it for several weeks, where we're supposed to live a life that's worthy of of the gospel. Look at chapter 1 and verse 27. Live a life that's worthy of the gospel. You see, the gospel is life. This morning, God wants us to focus our attention on these 11 verses. Now, as you see in your bulletin, the first point is this, that we need to be giving what we're getting, right? And that's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you, because we're going to work our way to it. The way that we're going to see that the text tells us that we need to give what we're getting is by starting where God starts in verse 1 of chapter 2. You see, God wants us to gather here to simplify our lives and in particular, reflect. To reflect. Each week we get to stop and think about God and His truth and what that means for my life. Every week. It starts in the call to worship, and it finishes with receiving his blessing. 
We need to think about his truth and what he says and who he is and how that applies to our lives. God knows that oftentimes it's so easy for us to pick holes in everything. God knows that we oftentimes are so quick to find fault with everything. We find fault in the world that we live in. We certainly are finding, able to find fault in other people. And many of us spend a lot of our time finding fault with ourselves. Now, in and of themselves, none of that is wrong. But the problem is that's often how we function. We're just finding fault with everyone and everything and everywhere. And we're just not happy people at all. We're not joyful at all. And God wants us to reflect. He wants us to think. He wants to stop. He wants us to stop and think about how the truth connects with our lives. That's why Paul begins by saying these words. Listen to this in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, he wants us to think for a moment. He wants you to think for a moment. He wants me to think for a moment. Have you ever received any encouragement from Christ? Have you ever received any encouragement from Christ? Is there any encouragement from you being united and joined and having a relationship with the Lord Jesus? Are you encouraged at all? When you begin to think about the fact that Jesus didn't make my salvation probable, but that he literally and completely purchased my salvation and saved me, and all those who will entrust themselves to him, doesn't that give you some encouragement? He didn't just make you savable. He literally saved you. He literally did everything. You can think of him as a literal savior who has done everything that you need. What that means is that Christ endured the pain and the suffering and the mocking, the slapping and the spitting. He endured the crucifixion, the death, as he was thinking of me as he was thinking of you, as your name was written on his hands. Beloved, isn't there tremendous encouragement in that? That Christ counted your salvation and my salvation more important than preserving his own life. God says, I don't want you to just think about any encouragement in Christ. What about the next one? Is there any comfort from love? As you sit here this morning, will you reflect with me for a moment and think about, is there any comfort from knowing his love? You see, the love of God and the love of Christ is unconditional. You might have lots of people in your life that you really love, and you might have lots of people in your life that really love you. And the way that they try to express express that love in their best moments, they are striving to be unconditional in the way that they love you. But guess what? They're not perfectly unconditional in their love towards you. But Jesus is. Jesus is the only one who perfectly loves you unconditionally. And if you're here and you're wrestling with the claims of Christ and wrestling with what does Christianity mean, hear this, there is lots of encouragement. And Jesus loves you unconditionally. And to press that even further, that means that he knows the worst about you what you don't want anybody else to know about you. He knows the worst about you and loves you still. 
He even adds here, participation in the Spirit, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit. You might be thinking, well, how do I know? How do I know that the Spirit is at work in my life? How do I know? What does it mean to participate with the Spirit? What is going on with this? Well, here are a few things to consider. If you know the Father's love in your life, it's because of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts. So if you're here this morning and you know the love of the Father, the Spirit is at work in your life. If you're here this morning and you're thinking about the fact that you find that as you look back over your life, you find that today you are far more patient than you were before. That's the work of the Spirit in your life. If you find that there's not just peace, in, excuse me, patience in your life, there's also peace and joy and love and self-control and kindness and gentleness. That is all, that is all the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. All those things are described in the Bible as the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is at work in your life, it's producing fruit. The Spirit is producing in you peace and joy and love and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. So if you find those in your life at all, it's because the Spirit is there. If you love the truth, if you realize that the truth of God is beautiful, it's astoundingly beautiful. If the truth is attractive to you, that's because the Spirit is at work in your life. If you're at the point in your life in which you're willing to admit that you're a sinner, the Spirit is at work in your life. Before Jesus left, he said the Spirit is going to come, and when the Spirit comes, he's going to convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. And what that means is, is that if I'm willing to admit that I'm a sinner and I'm willing to admit that my righteousness is in Christ, and if I'm willing to admit that God placed the judgment that I deserve on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the work of the Spirit in my life. The Spirit is always working to shine the spotlight and take the focus off of us and onto the Lord Jesus Christ. What about affection and sympathy? Paul says, what about affection and sympathy? We usually feel affection and sympathy through the church. At least that's how things should be. It's not always the case, unfortunately. But God's people should be existing together in a way that is affectionate, in a way that is sympathetic, in a way that you can feel the love of God, in a way that you can live in the affection and sympathy of Christ. Even more than that, Beloved, you realize that Jesus himself can sympathize with you. You have a Savior who knows what it's like to be a human being from the inside out. You have a Savior who can perfectly sympathize with you, who's been tempted in every way that you are. You have a Savior who can sympathize with everything that you could ever experience or endure. Jesus sympathizes with you. See, God wants us to stop and reflect, as if to say, see, since you have all these things, 
since you have encouragement and since you have comfort and since you participate with the Spirit and since you know affection and sympathy, you must be given what you're getting. You must live your life giving to others what you are getting. Our lives are supposed to illustrate the gospel. Our lives are supposed to show the gospel. As we have received encouragement from God, so we ought to encourage others in God. As we have received comfort from the love of God, we're able to comfort others by talking about His love. As we see the working of the Spirit in our own lives, we point others to the Spirit and what He is doing in them. As we receive affection and sympathy, so we are able to be affectionate and sympathetic toward others. You see, God never stops showing us His love. He never stops comforting us. He never stops encouraging us. The Holy Spirit never leaves us alone. And we're always growing in our affection and sympathy. Always. And so the desire... To give to others what we are receiving is because it's always the case. You are always getting from God. He is always encouraging and always sympathetic. This is what we're supposed to be for the world. This is what we're supposed to be for each other and the world. And you know, it's easy to fall in the trap of thinking. It's easy to fall in the trap of thinking this. Well, Living in the truth or illustrating the gospel or my life illustrating the gospel basically means this. I'm going to get my doctrine right. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, well, I'm just learning more. I'm just getting more doctrine. Everything is going great. And that's not true. It's important to grow in our understanding of doctrine. God is not afraid of doctrine. He gives us good doctrine. But there's something more, there's something deeper. Paul says here, and God says to the Apostle Paul, that because we're supposed to give what we're getting, that should always produce two things. One is humility, and the other is unity. If we are receiving comfort and encouragement and participating in the Spirit and receiving affection and sympathy and giving that to other people, what will happen is unity and humility. Listen to this. Listen to verse 2. Paul describes unity this way. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. Paul wants us to be unified. He wants us to have one mind. He wants us to have the same love. He wants us to live in full accord. He wants us to have one mind, the same mind. We're supposed to pursue unity. And he also wants us to pursue humility. Now, here's the air that we breathe every day. This is the culture that we live in. This is what our culture thinks of humility. The culture wants us to insist upon our rights. The culture that we live in wants to say, I have rights. I'm going to stand on my rights. I'm going to cling to my rights tightly. I'm going to fight for my rights. I'm going to stand up for my rights. That's what the culture wants. The culture doesn't want us to think of other people. The culture doesn't want us to be sympathetic toward others. The culture doesn't want us to think about others. The culture wants us to think of self. Humility is perceived as being something that's really weak. We live in an individualistic culture that is virtually void of humility. Everything is about self. Everything is about me. Everything is about my rights. Everything is about me getting mine. 
And God says, in humility, count others more significant than self. Look out for your own interests, but not only your own. Look out for the interests of others. Think of others, not just yourself. Think of others. Everything that I am giving to you, God is saying, every way that I am blessing you, think of others. Your life is not just about yourself. You see, humility is not having a low opinion of yourself. That's not what biblical humility is. It's not having a low opinion of yourself, too low an opinion of yourself. As one man says, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Biblical humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's actually thinking of yourself less. The problem you see with unity and humility, the problem we have with unity and the problem we have with humility is that it's virtually impossible for us. But you know it's not always been that way. You remember that God created us to reflect his glory. Remember that God created us not only to reflect his glory, but to walk with him. Remember that God made us to live with each other. Remember that God made us to exist in body and soul forever. Remember that God made us to see all of our life as worship. Remember that we were created so that we might live in harmony with everyone and everything. But sin happened. Sin entered the world and oftentimes the dial of our heart is set. It's positioned on pride. The dial of our heart is almost always set on this setting of pride. Last week we looked at rivalry and conceit from verse 3. Our hearts are set on rivalry and conceit, and what's underneath all that is pride. You see, there's something as we gather today, there's something that is fundamentally wrong with our hearts. Our hearts are not at rest. We are trying to find our self-sufficiency everywhere else except in Christ. That's why many of our conversations end like this. Well, that's just your opinion. We might not always verbalize that, but you know what I'm talking about. Oftentimes in our minds we just think, well, that's just what you think. That may be good for you, but that's not good for me. An author if you'll allow me to paraphrase him, an author reminds us that pride gets no pleasure out of looks or riches or brains themselves. Pride gets no pleasure out of just looks or riches or brains themselves. Pride gets pleasure from having more than someone else. You see, it's not just that we want to be smart. It's that we want to be smarter than, than these people. It's not just that we want to be rich. We want to be richer than other people. It's not just that we want to be good looking. We want to be better looking than others. It's not just that we want to be good athletes. We want to be better athletes than others. 
because our hearts are set, our dial of our heart is set on pride and rivalry and conceit, and we want to compare ourselves to everyone else, and by being better-er than everybody else in whatever field we choose, we then find sufficiency, self-sufficiency, and meaning, because we don't care about others. We really just use others to get what we want, to make ourselves look better. Well, that's where the message of Christianity comes in. You see, the gospel is that unity and humility are results of focusing on someone else. Unity and humility are results of focusing our attention on something else, someone else, and you might have guessed who that is. Jesus. You see, Jesus is more than help. Jesus is more than a man who taught great things. Jesus is more than a great example. You see, Jesus' message was not, here's how I lived, and follow my example, and you'll live a good life, and at the end of your life, God will accept you because of what you have done and who you are, and you consistently tried, at least sincerely, tried to follow my example. That's not really the message of Jesus at all. The message of Jesus is not advice, it's not therapy, it's not sentimentalism, it's not here are the new techniques of how to modify your behavior. You see, here's the truth about Jesus. He existed in the form of God. He is deity. All the essence of deity resides in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. All the attributes of God are His. He existed in the form of God, but He didn't consider equality with God something that He was going to clutch onto tightly. And so you know what He did? He acted like God. He humbled Himself. The text says in verses 5-8, through He emptied Himself. He made Himself nothing. Jesus humbled Himself not by subtracting, Not by eliminating deity, not by eliminating the fact that he was divine. He humbled himself by taking. Jesus made himself nothing by addition. He added to himself humanity. Therefore, people saw him as a servant. They saw him as a human being. They could see him face to face and realize, hey, this is a regular guy. This is a normal guy. Jesus humbled himself and became a servant. It's true. Can you believe it? The Lord of the universe that made everything that you see, that wrote the Ten Commandments, came to subject himself to the law and to creation. He submitted himself. The Lord of glory was willing to live under sinful parents' authority. And he became obedient, the text says here, even to the point of death, even a death on the cross. Jesus did that. Jesus did that because we couldn't and won't. And you know what happened after his death on the cross? Look at verse 9 through 11. Because of that humbling and because of that crucifixion, because of his death, 
Christ was exalted. Christ was resurrected. God highly, verse 9, exalted him. And one day, one day every knee will bow. One day. One day everyone above the earth, one day everyone on the earth, and one day everyone who's below, everyone will bow. That's not talking about a universal salvation. That's talking about a universal acknowledgement that Jesus is the Lord. And on that day, if you're in Christ, you will bow down with tears of thanks and joy for everything that he has done. And it will be so fresh and so new that you will think that everything you've experienced in your life was nothing, (laughs) even though it is something. And for those who don't know the Savior and will not bow their knee to him, on that day they will have to admit that everything that they have believed is a lie and that they love to live in that lie and choose that lie. But they will no longer be able to doubt that Jesus is Lord and that everything that everyone has ever said about him in the Scriptures is true. What a day. That's why he adds here that it will all be to the glory of the Father. The glory is coming. The glory is coming. Christ humbled himself so that he would be exalted. You see, beloved, as we gather here today, something can happen in you and in me and in us because of what has happened to Jesus. Something can happen in your life because of what has happened to Jesus. As a matter of fact, we can have supreme confidence that humility and unity will be produced in us as we focus and pursue the Lord Jesus. You see, we can't ever pursue unity and humility as an end in and of themselves. Because we can pursue humility and unity in a self-centered way, right? You know, my book is coming out this next year. You know what it's called? You ready for this? Perfect Humility and How I Attained It. We can pursue unity and we can pursue humility with completely self-serving motives. It's true. That's why unity and humility is only, only truthfully produced as we look to Jesus. The beauty of the gospel is that unity and humility result from the death and resurrection of Jesus. The beauty of the gospel is that as we pursue Christ, God produces this in us. Beloved, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. It's the mind that you have because of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're here because we need your truth. We need to think about our lives and be encouraged with what you're doing in our lives and what you've done in our lives. 
We need to be comforted with your love. We need to recognize that your spirit is producing things in us that we could never produce on our, on our own. We need to remember that even though we have been hurt by your church or hurt by your people, that because of your grace, we are able to experience sympathy and affection from your people. And, oh, Lord, we need to be challenged that we need to give what we are getting from you. So we ask that you would help us, Lord, to recognize humility and unity are very important. And the problem is our pride. So God, enable us to connect our lives with Jesus and to see that he was humbled and ultimately exalted. And then as we look at him and die to ourselves and see that he died for us and see that he humbled himself for us and see that one day he'll be exalted and be raised up and acknowledged for who he is, that as we seek him, that we too will grow in unity and grow in humility. Help us, Lord. Remind us that we have the mind of Christ. It's what you've given us in the gospel. Amen.